0: How are you, Marv? How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, and I'm glad that I can actually see you now. As <laughs> can everybody else. Everyone could
1: see me, kid. You all could see me. <laughs> you all could see me. I'm watching you.
0: <laughs> yeah, we finally got a Zoom account. We're... Are we professionals now? Um, I mean, some
1: um, description of professional in anything is, if you're earning money from it, and I wouldn't say we're earning money from it, but we have had money from it due to our wonderful patrons. Um, That's very, Sony, true, very true. Sony have offered a deal. Uh, we've had to turn them down. I just, I ain't got the time, mate. Do you know
0: what I mean? It's an absolute, absolute nightmare. I've absolute got sandwiches nightmare. to make. You know what I'm saying? I got, That's you know, what I'm saying, mate. That's what I'm saying. I've got to, to spread. And... got beer to drink. That is very true. Cheeky Snifter is the uh, thing you like to call it, right? Cheeky
1: Snifter. Have a Cheeky, cheeky Snifter. I've got a couple. You've got uh, Beverly's, Bev's. I like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Tin Ladin's. That's, that's topical, but I enjoy it. <laughs> that is political. I, uh, yeah. 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 So, what have you done with
0: your fortnight off, Marv? Talk me through it, kid. Well, yeah, we had a fortnight off. Um, I did I did miss doing the podcast. I kind of... Oh, it, I it, it It integrated into our lives, you know? It's like... felt like we were finding our feet, and... I don't know. It was a good groove, but i had finished working at the place that I kind of started at maybe like a month ago, the old eight-hour shifty boy. Um, saved up Lord. all that money. Now I'm going to start another job where I get paid just the same per day, but I'm doing like three hours work, four hours work. Solid, solid. So that's cool. And I've actually had time to sit down, play guitar, and play piano, listen to loads of music and get back into gigging because that's the big thing right now isn't it mez for us to oh boy oh gigging boy it's yes, happening sir. like next week i'm doing my first gig inside buddy inside it's, it's mad it's mad and i I'm, i agree with you i almost can't believe it's going to happen i have some little reservation yeah. that the r rate's going to go up you know cases are going to rise and it's like no lock everything down but i'm feeling positive and i can't wait we've got a load of new songs to learn oh yes yeah gonna be interesting it's gonna be interesting so obviously when we get back into full gigging mode we gotta have have a little powwow about how we're gonna fit in these episodes but i want to keep yes i want to oh me too me too mate exactly how about you then kid what's been going in your past couple of weeks well we've been
1: uh at mez incorporated i've been uh working i've been um I played outdoor airsoft for the first time a couple of weeks ago and wow. it it nearly killed me. Um the sort of insides of my thighs were burning on fire. Um very intense, very intense stuff, but also some of the best fun I've ever had in my life. Um I don't know, you're just you're pretending to be an army soldier with BB guns. Do you know what I mean? What how can I sell that to you any more than I just have with that sentence? Um, the best thing about it is that you're always fighting really overweight 40 to 50-year-old men in full, like, UK <laughs> Army surplus with the big hats, the big half-coconut hats, and for, like a guy walked past me with a sniper rifle that's like 400 to 500 pounds. And I turned up wearing my snow boots from when we went to ski season. Yeah. pair of jeans, <laughs> a fleece, a denim jacket, and my full face mask. That was it. <laughs> and so you oh, like, look man. like you're on holiday, basically. I, I'm like weekend warrior. And all these lads are like scooting around like, Frag out. Hit the deck. And I'm just there like, you know what I mean? you <laughs> oh, wrap it up in half an hour, mate. I've got to go home literally literally but oh, um man, it was is. so much fun so much fun and it was only at swindon so just down the road from me closer for you so uh marov get yourself an airsoft gun we're gonna shoot some oldies me old kiddo oh, i
0: mean
1: there's <laughs> i'm actually quite good at it as well so follow your
0: dreams follow your dreams follow your dreams you know you're your <laughs> yeah, an airsoft leader Oh, all mate. I can all I can picture is loads of Gareth Keenan's with you playing <laughs> like a so, territorial army soldier.
1: So it is kind of like that, but um, I mean, to be fair, we had we had a good bunch on the day. Some good sportsmen, you know, people taking oh, their hits, no cheating, none of that nonsense. Uh, the funniest <laughs> was so when you when you go to a new airsoft site, you have to do something called chrono your gun. You yeah, hit. so. That's basically, one of the marshals will watch how fast your gun is shooting. So if it's shooting too fast or too hot, they'll be like, well, you you can't use that, mate, because as much as they're plastic BBs, you, you, you hit a point where these could penetrate skin, do you know what I mean? And that's when it starts to get a bit nasty. Um, anyway, I shot a few shots through. And he turned around. He was like, "All right, all right, calm down, John Wayne." <laughs> <laughs> um, that was great fun. That was great fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Is it the patrons or the patrons or the patrons? It's the patrons. Pay.
0: Pay-tron. I'll let you Tron. do that. Okay, they are I need the trons to get a little soundbite of, of you pay. saying that. There yes. we go. They've been chatting all on that on the. Uh, yeah, keep the it coming, keep Page. It coming. Like it? We've been crazy busy, I would say, and. We need to make up some content to make up for them this week that we were going to do last week, but it's happening. Oh, yes. We're going to get on that, and it'll be great. Oh, and yes. Yes. This episode is about drugs and alcohol. So. Beer, Marv? You know, do you want a beer? Alcohol? Yeah, I haven't beer. got a beer, mate. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna stick to Volvic. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, well, hang on. Oh, there we go. Getting used to the camera. There we go, Volvic.
1: Well, well actually, no, I'd, I'd, I'd go Buxton, to be honest, mate, but.
0: Other brands of water are available. Oh, of course,
1: that's a fresh old boy as well. That's a fresh
0: boy. Mine's he's going to go so. down.
1: He's going to go down up the old tubular bells shortly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he's drinking buffalo. So uh, drugs now apply. Too little, too much, not enough. You know, what's the winning formula? I mean, we know. I can think of music that probably would not have been created in this world if the people themselves didn't take drugs and expanded their mind revolver for me like a huge one oh, i yeah. think if they i think if the beatles never took drugs that would have never been made that whole album and the course of their album subsequently and then you know by that fact the course of music as we know it would it be the same wouldn't no, it be the wouldn't. same so it's kind of hard you can't really negate and go no drugs no alcohol no nothing it's such a hard thing you can't really police it in, in that sense especially with like a musician life um, or just any life, really, for that matter. But we're going to get into that. Um, and if I were to think of like, the two genres that I think are most affected by drugs and alcohol in a negative way, I really thought about was There's three for me. But I'm going to go rock and hip-hop. And I think pop is a very close third.
1: Yes, I will agree with you on that. However, there is a... Even to know, there's an extreme fascination... With heroin in the metal industry, just it it maybe it's it's died out. I think a lot recently, but I think it's still very prevalent. Um, Rob Flynn of Machine Head, which I don't think exists anymore. I could be wrong on that. Um, he, he did a massive thing where he was just like, I do not understand how it gets in. I don't know how people are so hung up on it and how how they can't see what what's happening i mean obviously you get peer pressure and you get riders and stuff like that um as years ago gone on i think it's become more and more taboo
0: because mm-hmm.
1: when you look at it in the 70s and stuff um i believe and i'm gonna get corrected big time on this but i do believe it was around early to mid 1970s that heroin was brought into the uk um and loads of people were dying loads of people were dying because nobody knew the correct amount to take so they'd just take way too much and die um and then you've I suppose you've got stories like the first time Sabbath went to America and people were offering offering like Tony Iommi like cocaine and he was like no 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 I'm not, not touching that shit thank you but the second time they went back he was like go on let's have a go then <laughs> <laughs> oh, <woof. laughs> and that's how we get things like hotel rooms with black candles lit curtains drawn soapboxes full of cocaine and fridges full of orange juice i'll tell you what it sounds
0: like the bloody life of riley it do and i mean for Tommy, me, i mean that's probably a thursday night <laughs> take it yeah. take it man if you've got the option take it man so i mean mez it's up to you my, I'll go with my answer for this one because it's a lot simpler, and it depends how much you want to disclose or whatever. But what's your relationship with drugs and alcohol? So for me, I've never done drugs in my life. You're art. Smoked a cigarette. You're art. Yeah, it could be art. Who knows? Um, but I've drank. I've obviously been drunk. Um, I've been too drunk where I've thrown up. I've been. I've never been drunk too drunk that I've blacked out and not remembered a whole night. I've always, I've always at least remembered. I'd say the majority of the night. You've definitely seen me very, very drunk. I've definitely oh, seen yeah. you very, very drunk. Oh, oh yeah. We got a lot. Of, we got a lot of stories that we could talk about, but too many. I'm mate. probably not gonna. I'm probably gonna ask you to not say a couple, but oh, that's fine. That's fine. It is what it is. Uh, but there's... I've never, I've never had a. Ad- you know, it's, it's never a, um, been an addiction for me. Um, you know, I've managed to maintain my life and. I can go and get drunk one night, be fine, be hung over, and then still manage to function in the day, put it up and put it down whenever I want to, much like yourself. And I may have in the past leaned on going out drinking uh, as a way of like maybe coping with a breakup or coping with a stressful time in my life, you know, especially my teens or something like that. But generally it was just, it was there to maybe serve a function of like, oh, I, you know, it's kind of a, bit of a rough patch, have a couple of drinks, lighten up and and do whatever it's more it's it's always been a social thing for me uh drugs never done them but i grew up skateboarding and usually marijuana weed pot i want to call it as many names for many different drugs um that was very, very prevalent around me um everyone kind of did it i i never seen any negative effects to that you know going to festivals and then people you know maybe graduating to stuff like ketamine which is like watching someone on the ketamine is, is weird trying to walk forward when their body's going backwards. And yeah. It's not pleasant. Molly, Molly and mud and ecstasy and pills. I've never seen and cocaine. I've never seen anyone shoot up heroin. I would, I would not want to be around a situation like that. No, no. Uh, I think the drugs I just mentioned are probably the hardest ones I've ever seen people do. Um, and I never, I never did it. My main my main memory was that I remember it was a really nice, hot, sunny day. Big crew of us were skating. The old lot was skating with us as well. So it's like, cool, I want to do a really good tricks in front of them and press them. Trying to do a kickflip into this bank on this car park. And then it was about half an hour and they're like, oh, we're going to go smoke some weed. Like, do you want to have a smoke? And I was like, nah. And In my head, I was like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do yeah. that? It's like the best, sunniest day. Bearing in mind, like I, I'm pretty sure I'd known them for a while. And this wasn't the first time they'd offered it to me. I just said no. And then kept on skating, got the kit flip. They went inside this little alleyway where all the stairs are and they never came back out skating. And I just thought I'd never want to waste a day like that. And I think that stuck by me quite a lot. And then just the more and more you, the older you grow up and the more opportunities you say no to, I just get to a point now where I'm like, I'm I'm not even enticed. There's nothing about it that, that I want to use. And I hope it continues that way. You know, uh, mez what's your kind of relationship with drugs and alcohol
1: well first of all i really respect that um because peer pressure is not an easy thing to get away from especially in developing years and when you're when you use drugs especially stuff like ecstasy cocaine when you use that early on in your sort of progression into through puberty and into adulthood it can mess with you it can seriously do things to you um and that's why it's always safe. <laughs> it's always safe to try it in a safe environment with people you trust. Um as I'm sure most of the people listening to this will know or if you don't know me, my uh, my husky tones coming through, I am a smoker. I am a heavy smoker. I very much enjoy a smoke. In fact, my nickname in the band for a while was DJ Quick Smoke because that would be the first <laughs> portal out the van, roll a fag light them up you see that little cherry lighting up on the end of my finger here we go baby now <laughs> my, my relationship with smoking is quite simple i love it <laughs> i shouldn't i know it's incredibly bad for me but i do i love it um i'm 27 now i have a view to stop by the time i'm 30 because it, it, it'll it'll kill me it'll kill me eventually i know that so i've smoked the odd devil's lettuce from time to time. Um my first year of uni hanging out with friends in their flat and I love that as well. I really enjoyed that. We smoked it so often, so often. But I it never I, I never think now like oh I'd love a joint. It never really never really comes to it. Which is good because I'm already incredibly lazy. Um so I mean it would it would just it would progress, and it would yeah. it would become worse. I would become incredibly dependent upon it, especially with the social anxiety disorders I do have, and I'd probably never leave the house again. So, I mean, never say never. Maybe maybe sometime in the future I'll be happy enough to, to go at it again. But it happened then. I enjoyed it then, and that's kind of where I close the door on it, you know? Um, yeah. I don't disrespect anybody or judge people for using it you you do your thing um if stuff like cbd is which is it comes from the cannabis plant is incredibly useful and it has multi-functions in fact i think the uk isn't far away from legalizing it to be honest with you not cbd but um but cannabis cannabis in general yeah i think i actually think we in the next four or five to ten years i think we're going to see it legalized here um, because I do not believe that anyone has died from the use of it. It can sort of play with you. It can play with your head, um, but it's um, it's not like heroin. If you take too much heroin accidentally, you you ain't going home for tea. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to end well for you. Uh, in terms of drugs, I've seen I've seen plenty of people do coke. I've seen plenty of people take pills. Uh, and there was one time where I saw a man with a pipe and some foil, and that's that's heroin inhalation. Um, and I was like, I'm going to stay away from that, dude. Not that he'd be dangerous, but I was just like, I just, yeah. no. I, I, no, absolutely not. That's, to me, that's like, I understand why people do it. I understand it happens, but it's not, not for me. Um, and in terms of like shooting up directly i hate needles i cannot stand them uh, i can't wait for my covid jab but on the other hand i would be happy if they were like you know what Merritt, you're a safe shag don't worry about a covid <laughs> jab i would breathe a small sigh of relief and be like oh thank god for that ask if they got it in pill form yeah. <laughs> can i get the uh the pfizer um meltlet
0: please melts on your tongue and tastes like lemons that do but there you go you know um let me get into my album so i'm going to choose smile from the streets you hold by john for and it was released august 26 1997 so this album how i'm going to talk about really is i need to talk about how his life was around this time because then the album then kind of goes in so this album could be in the category of the songs from the from the album before that I didn't use, but I put it here. But the album is so steeped in drugs that the only reason it was released was for drug money. That is the sole reason that it is for here. It's not for any artistic vision, it's not for anything else. It was just to get money to do more drugs. So that's so on the nose. I don't know how else you can go from there. Yeah, yet. yeah, that's the um For anyone that doesn't know, John shannon he's best known for being the guitarist in the Chili Peppers. Um, Definitely, in their most best-selling and critically commercial successful work uh, between nineteen ninety-one to two thousand six. He's obviously now rejoined in two thousand nineteen. Um, they've yet to put an album out, but I think it might be coming out this year, and cool. it will sell like it will sell like hotcakes. Yeah, it just of course it will. It's, it's that kind of lineup. It's, it's the classic lineup for them. Um, that some would argue that's the best work they make is those four people. Um, so. For me, he's the biggest influence on my own guitar playing. I definitely was a Fashante clone for many years. Um, it's just something about his music that I connect with, and something about the way he plays, maybe the notes he chooses. I could go, I could go in depth and go all kind of you know spiritual and stuff, but like, this it just happens. It just happens. You you hear it and you just go, I really like that. Um, much like when I heard Indian style music at secondary school, something about me was just like. I really am attracted to this sound of music. Um who fits that category for you, Merritt? The second you heard and you were like, This is it. This is the one.
1: Brian May. Gotta be Brian May. Absolutely. To yeah. so, to me it's it's the same deal. Every note he plays, in contrast with the music, is just perfect. Uh every song he writes is just really inspirational and wonderful. Um Yeah i mean there's a couple but i won't i won't harp on about it but um (laughs) but yeah it it, yeah i totally get what you mean that it's just the note choices the inflections the accents um uh, and the 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 voice leading the chords everything about it you're just like i love this musician um and that's a really weird thing because you don't know him but you love him You you just can't help but not
0: yeah exactly I think you like the way they express themselves on their instrument. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like you like, you like hearing what they've got to say. That's how I categorize it. So, Prashant A joins his favorite band at 18 years old. And this is also the first ever band that he's ever been in. So, like Crazy. You know, I'm going to try and set up the, the pressure that he's put upon himself here. So... First, the second show he ever does with them is in a theater-sized venue. And he said he was very, very nervous. Um, You know, he lost many friends during his childhood years because they either didn't like the music that he liked and felt very sad and alone. Um, Lost as in they just decided not to be friends rather than they had sadly passed away. Um, So with the band members that he then has joined, he then finally had stability and had friends. But they're also his idols. And, you know, he's slowly learning that, oh, they're people and they're not exactly who I thought I wanted them to be, you know. Um, so, you know, propelled by his own kind of internal pressure, he made sure to fit in as much as he could. And in his own words, he was trying too hard to be what I thought a chili pepper should be rather than just being myself in my personal life and in my guitar playing. Um, he, he became a uh, Anthony Kiedis clone, who's the lead singer um basically whatever he did um, did whatever he did and his guitar playing he replaced the late halal slovak who died of a heroin overdose which becomes very much prevalent as we go on to here um even doing stuff like not playing as fast not using his little finger because he was very much in the steve Vai shredder category you know um but being chucked into like a funk rock band doesn't necessarily work so he also you know he wanted to be liked by the people in the band liked by the audience um he was doing everything that he wasn't himself the huge pressure he had built up at 19 will eventually explode it will lead us to the smile from the streets you hold they release mother's milk which becomes their best selling out at that point it gets them on the college radio um, they start having minor hits they get signed to warner brothers And then they work on Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which for most people is their best album. One of the best albums of 1991. Incredible. And you think about all the albums that came out in in 1991. I mean, it's up there. It's up there. It's great. It really is. Yeah. And he's 2021, you know, when it's recorded and and, and done. So, So now he's copying the habits of Flea. So I think when he was younger, he kind of dabbled. I think he maybe dabbled in Coke or pretending to buy Coke, but he idolized a lot of um, celebrities that did Coke, a lot of musicians, especially David Bowie and Lou Reed and things like that. So now he's kind of copying Flea, who's the bass player, smoking a lot of weed because um, Flea would always be stoned at a show. Uh, he's drinking, but it's kind of socially, same with cocaine. He's kind of dabbling at this point. Um, they're recording a the big mansion on the weekdays and have weekends off.
1: And Sorry to interject, Barve. That documentary is incredible.
0: Well, Funky Monks,
1: amazing. It's very, very good. It's just, it's just, it's everything I want. Like a year and a half in the life of Metallica, it's everything I want to know <laughs> about that. And when you're a museo, you you get really caught up with the details. Well, I do, and you do. You get really caught up with the details, don't you? You re, oh, what pick was he using when he hit that one string and that one? You've got to know, and that is what Funky Monks does for me.
0: Yeah exactly exactly and we've spent many a drunken night watching documentaries you know like that oh yes can't complain so we'll get to his first departure now so all this internal pressure he's putting on himself i've got to be the best chili peppers guitarist i'm fitting into the shoes of one of my guitar idols playing with my idols in the first band i've ever been in at 18 years old i've just now made a record where you know, he was arguing with the producer about the tones of his guitar that he wanted to sound like. And he's been very adamant about this. And then that goes successfully well. The best thing they've done since up to that point. They then do Blood Sugar, which at this point hadn't come out yet. But when it does come out, it's selling like hotcakes. They are becoming rock stars, full on rock stars. Bearing in mind, he's been in the band probably two to three years at this point. 88, 89 to about 92, you know. So it's all very, very fast, all very, very quick. He tries heroin for the first time at a Jane's Addiction concert. And that's just before the release of the record. So he's dabbling. He's not addicted yet. He's just dabbling. Um, You know, Chili Peppers blow up. They're playing with Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, like all these big bands. Or not at the time, but they started to then blow up and there's these big scenes. They're fitting right in. They're the hottest thing in 91, you know. But touring is something for Shanty it was like the last thing he wanted to do at that point. He just made this great record and he was like, that's the pinnacle. That's it. I want to quit. You know, that, what, what are we doing? There's no point going out on tour. It's going to ruin, it's going to ruin my connection, my relationship with my art and my music. Um, <clears throat> he felt like he hadn't paid his dues as a working musician and the other people I'd had. I mean, again, Mara, I'll ask you the question a bit later on, but when you're 18 and you join your favorite band and, you know, stuff's happening pretty quickly, you might, these things are going to go through your head. I feel like you're going to have these pressures, and maybe you're not set up for it. Maybe you're not really set up for it. That's Definitely. not to say that's, that's not to say all eighteen, nineteen year olds that join bands are, but you know, it's, there's a pattern sometimes, you know. Um, so he was isolating himself on tour with his new girlfriend. He was doing drugs a lot more. Heroin is a lot more prevalent, mainly because it probably gave him an escape from everything. Um, his friend Robert Hayes dies in a car accident. And he was going to make music with him. He was going to quit the Chili Peppers and make music with him. Now that wasn't an option. You know, it just affected him considerably. He was like, every time I got home from touring, I felt more and more empty. And I was basically just a vacuum when I quit. Uh, and then we get things where he's starting to, like, experiment with his guitar performances. So at this point, he's not really talking to Anthony. He's not talking to Flea. Not really talking to Chad, the drummer, for that matter. Constant um, Constant arguments. And he's playing these kind of games on stage. Every time they're soft, he's loud. Every time they're loud, he's soft. Every time it's fast playing, he's playing slow, opposite way around. He's making up lyrics on the spot. He's making up guitar parts to the songs on the spot. Um, I mean, the most infamous one is going to be the Under the Bridge performance on Saturday Night Live. I was going to say that, yeah. Where, you know, I think he's playing great. He's in time. He's mainly in tune um he's playing it yeah he's playing in key you know he's coming up with things that are are nice and inventive and don't sound horrible um but i mean the screeching at the end yeah i mean i could deal with that screeching um so the drummer chad smith says you know it's just shy of deliberate sabotage but for says it's oh it's my little art project on stage you know that was the most fun i'd ever had on stage playing i think that's the best guitar performances i've ever had on stage was doing that and they both hold equal weight they both hold equal weight you know i feel like you should have the freedom to play whatever you want um and being confined to a band you know with a pretty strict verse chorus verse chorus solo chorus and you know for the most part i can understand the frustrations there but you know you you're not just thinking about yourself you've got to think about these other people that are playing and how it's affecting them you know um so he finally quit in May 1992. And again, when I'm looking back in it, I'm looking about looking back all this stuff back on paper. And I'm like, how much pressure was Freshante putting on himself? There's so much pressure. Um, it just kind of seemed to push him to a nervous breakdown. I never really thought about that until I started doing research. I think he forced, not forced himself, but he put, it, he, he just couldn't handle the pressure. You know, he had certain tragedies that had happened, his friend dying and it just amounted up to just he couldn't even live up to his own expectations of what he thought he should be because he didn't really want to be. a He wanted to be a rock star, but he wanted to be a rock star being himself. But he was too busy copying Anthony and Flea and other people of what he thought he should be that when he decided, no, I'm going to be myself. He just couldn't marry the two together. And I think that just sent him into a nervous breakdown right on right on <laughs> so for Shan a mm-hmm. uh releases his Daily Daily day lo releases... <laughs> goodbye hard anyway if you ever say a word wrong around here you can it never it never gets put aside no, no room for up. no room for no hour. room for error. zero no dreams so Frasciante releases his debut solo album, yeah, Neanderthal Days, and usually just a T-shirt in November 94, right? So initially he wanted these, these songs were just unreleased. He was going to like die with them. They were just made for him, whatever. But people were like, this is good. There's no good music out there. Just push it out. Go for it. Um, it's very avant-garde. It's very experimental, very lo-fi. Um, there are a lot of good gems on there. You can tell that i mean he recorded these songs while he was recording blood sugar so heroin is around at the time but he's dabbling there's one solo where he's high on heroin um which i want to say is 10 to butter blood voodoo so again even the title 10 to butter blood voodoo i don't even know what that means what that's in reference to but he's high on heroin on that guitar solo so if you want to hear someone high on heroin doing a guitar solo go to that tune um but his addictions hadn't really got to him properly. And the second half of the album, which is all untitled tracks, you then start to hear some deterioration. You start to hear a slight slight decline of his health. Um, But You know, it takes a while to get used to the album, but then you do and you kind of of see the pained beauty of the songs um, compared to Smile from the Streets You Hold. It's very much more of a unified body of work and it sounds almost like a really polished studio record. Um, but the Freshante guitar sound is here. The star was heard here. And I would argue for the first time, I would say with Blood Sugar, he was still emulating the previous guitar player. Um, but I think here's really the true Freshante sound that you then hear onwards, especially things like, you think about their the Big Chili Peppers song, Scar Tissue, um, the way that guitar riff is played. In musical terms, it's tenths where you have the happy major or minus uh, note on the highest highest note being played. Um, that's something I associate with his playing. That gets kind of heard on "Untitled number two, for example. So that's where you get the lineage from. I don't think he'd used it beforehand. So at this point, you know, his view of weed was this, right? It's a pot. Pot put me in a position where I could walk far away from my playing and hear it in the second person. It helped me step away from myself. I stopped seeing the guitar as a thing I'm holding in my hands and started seeing it as a thing that's one with outer space and nothingness. Much like Jimi Hendrix, where when he takes take drugs, he could see the notes, see colors, and it influences playing for the good. Revolver and a lot of the Beatles stuff, Rolling Stone stuff, all the classic artists that you can think of. Um, okay, great. You know, you might not have got, all of the songs and um, albums that we would have got if it wasn't for him taking drugs. But for all of that, you've then got him becoming increasingly paranoid. Convinced that snakes were in his eyes. Not that he's seeing snakes. Snakes are in his eyes. He's waging more on ghosts and he's wearing full body protection. Like ski goggle mask, socks tucked in, full like body protection on because then nothing can get him so for all of that weed and the cocaine and the liberal use of heroin that soon becomes fully addicted to heroin and yes it might make his guitar playing good but i mean he's shutting himself off he is for all intents and purposes you know he's having a nervous mental breakdown the drugs are really pushing this forward so i would say maybe the payoff wasn't as good you also got to think at this point too that He hears um, spirits. He calls them spirits. Now, I'd maybe interpret it as my mind, but you interpret how you want to. He's saying spirits are telling him in his head, do drugs for six years. They said to him, you're going to do drugs for six years, but only six years. And he states in an interview, he got to about two years before the end, four years into doing drugs. And they were like, okay, you only got two years left. And then when he got to the six years, they said, cool, you can stop now. And he realized that if he kept carrying on, they said to him, you probably got three months left of your life. Bearing in mind, he was at an awful, awful state, you know? So, I mean, make of that what you will. That's just the way he interprets that. But he's almost, again, this this is the whole point. He had that intense pressure and now he just wants to be left alone and do not do nothing with his life, but not have to make decisions in his life. Not have that pressure. He's got got spirits telling him, do drugs for six years. Don't worry, bud, you're safe. So that he, he kind of, he kind of attributes that to him. The reason why he didn't die because he knew that and he wasn't afraid of dying. He still isn't now. That was his view. I guess then maybe you equate it. to you know, when people, um, they might tense up when they're either in a car crash or, or something's going to happen and they tense up. Or they're going to have a fall. I think if you stay loose, then you end up not hurting yourself as much as you do when you tense up, which is why people break things. Again, not a doctor. I know it's hard to believe, Mez. Not a doctor. You're not a doctor. I'm really not a doctor. But <laughs> when I Probably a good thing.
1: When you said about him being in an awful state, all I could think about was the video of him at home where his teeth are awful, his hair's like... <clears throat> It's like, is it black and it's like short and it's really greasy and he just really, looks really, really greasy. He just looks super skinny. He's constantly like this. Like his eyes are just constantly open like that. Mm-hmm. And he plays guitar that's really out of tune. And he like sings and it's awful. It's dreadful. Where is that video in this progression? Do you know?
0: I'm glad you said because it really fits into where I am right now. Love that. You've done a really good thing now. So uh, it's ninety-three, ninety-seven, right? He's, he's full-blown junkie. He's full-blown yeah. drug addict mode. So the video you're on about is the V Pro interview, nineteen ninety-four. That's the one. He is. He's moved out of his um, house. I believe he might have um, just escaped the house fire. Um, that he got bar- badly burned. Him. He lost a lot of his um master tapes and guitars got stolen and paintings and all these things um so he's living in um i can't remember the exact place i can't remember but he's not living there anymore he's moved and yeah the way he's injecting heroin is very wrong the way he's doing it he's like missing veins and things so when you see that interview his hand is all it's very very lumped up like this
1: i remember that So i yeah. don't know
0: what that's down to you can see it when he's playing that it's like it's like a balloon with little kind of fingers poking out, and you know he's like a skeleton. He's just a bag of bones with the skeleton, you know, hardly any skin. Everything's all greasy. His teeth are rotting. um He nods out like once or twice during the interview. At the end, he's listening to his music and he's just led down like this, like and it's a symbolism, like he's a dead man walking. He's dead man on the clock. So yeah, he's ninety four. This is full blown addict. So he's already he's. Released uh, his first debut album at this point, right? So yes. um You look at his solo shows. His first solo show in 1993 lasts one song, and then he throws up on his friend. So um, he did the song "Life's a Bath," which gets which is on "Smile from the Streets." You hold um, gets through one song, that's it. So do you call that a gig? I'm going to say it's a gig. That's the only gig he did in 1993.
1: Good lord.
0: Um, good, he's got scars on cool. his arms, like I said, surviving a house fire. His next live performance is 1995, his only show of that year. I think he does a little bit of a bigger set, um, but still not very good. He's in very, at this point, very, very bad health. He's got no teeth, it's indecipherable the, the things he's trying to sing. And I think at that point, he then goes to um, rehab because he goes to the hospital, which I'll get to. So anyway, um, just as a brief overview, as I can try to fit in this period, um, you know, his hands are swollen, arms infected from abscesses as well. due to not injecting properly. His only nourishment points is a meal replacement drink. And his girlfriend at the time kind of likens to that of a carer. She's literally just kind of caring for him and he's just recording when he can. If, if he's playing guitar, he was painting a lot at this point and doing nothing. Um, he owed a drug dealer $30,000 and he had to borrow money to pay this drug dealer because the drug dealer would kill him. So even then that was, you know, you're not worried about death and you know, a lot of people would say that you're killing yourself with the drugs, but then he'd be killed for doing these drugs. It's kind of a weird bittersweet irony. Um, and that's a lot of money bearing in mind, you know, he's getting royalty checks at this point, Blood sugar sex magic is making a lot, but, he says you know i'd find a royalty check for a lot of money tens of thousands of dollars floating around his backyard he just doesn't care that that's how he doesn't care about it. it's all about the art yeah exactly uh he nearly dies of a blood infection so this is around that 95 show period um he had a 12th of his blood in him and that was infected he was that bad and he only went to rehab because of that issue he got to a good enough health and then he was like, yeah, I'll do some more heroin, chuck it on me. Because, you know, he'd been told by his spirits, you got to keep doing drugs, six years. Go for it, six years, you'll be fine. Um, he becomes homeless, he lives in his girlfriend's car, the only solace he has is the radio. Um, I could g- literally go on for more and more details, of you know, all these accounts of things. But the fact of the matter is he's, he's so severely depressed about leaving the band, about how his life turned out, his death of his friend, how his his mental imbalance, how he deals with things, his coping mechanisms. That he just took drugs, and you know, helped him forget about his life. At that point, the world seemed beautiful when he was on drugs. When he was sober, he said, "You know, friends looked at me like there's a wall up against you. You know, you don't seem very open." But when he was on drugs, he could see the beauty of the world, and. It's very hard to, you know, to go, well, that's not true. What are you want about? I'm fine. I'm sober. I, the beauty of the world's how you want to see it, but I'm not in that position. I'm never going to be in that position. I really hope to whatever day I allude myself to, That you just, if that's how someone wants to live, it's very, very hard to, you know, you can lead a horse to war, but you can make a drink. And Flea was to constantly say to him, I hate you doing drugs. Like, please get clean. But he's like, his rebuttal would be the problem isn't that the problem isn't is that I'm doing drugs. It's the fact that you don't like me doing drugs. And he's like, well, yeah, how can I argue with that? You know, all I can do is wish him well, you know, um, and this is kind of, you know, the, I'd say the, uh, general public aren't knowing about this. This is all just kind of in circles and things, you know, he's getting more and more isolated. He's pushing people away. Um, so, we get to smile from the streets you hold. So, it's a very, very, very hard album to listen to and to get used to. I was listening to this and making notes, and I was like, you know what? Actually, I don't think it's that as bad as I think it is. But it's because I'm used to it, because I'm very used to it. The first song, Enter a Uh, is like this muffled guitar, it's pretty out of tune, and you're just getting this scream this horrible gritty scream of someone that's got like not a lot of teeth, incoherent lyrics. And it's just, it's the most literal form of sitting next to a junkie. This is real. As real as it's going to get, you are listening to someone who is killing themselves on drugs. They are destroying themselves on drugs, but they're convinced that they're healthy and happy. And it is so frightening. It, it was quite scary to listen to for the first time. I really I, bet, I, I really I do remember. It. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes Neandrela Days seem amazing in comparison. And again, this album is, um, I'd say it contains, because again, he only put it together to make money for drugs. So it's, it's cobbled together. So these are the songs from the period. He's got one from 1988 when he was 17, which is the most coherent. and sounds great. Um, you've got 91 to 92, which are the songs... From the Angela days, that he didn't put on that album, that he's chucked here. So, using drugs, but they haven't they haven't consumed him, uh, and they're they're of good quality, I would say as well. Nineteen ninety three, which is two songs with the actor River Phoenix, who died of a heroin overdose or a drug overdose, um, plus a song called "Life's a Bath," and then you've got nineteen ninety four, and then you've got nineteen ninety six, which is where his health is at his worst absolute worst health state he's ever been in and they're recorded from a cassette player it was like a boom box and a cassette player somehow you can hear the clicks you know as diy as you can get and it's terrible you can hear you can hear he has no teeth most if not all the lyrics make no sense you can't even decipher them the playing is somewhat still there His musician stip is, is still kind of there but you can tell that the drugs are just have completely dampened it all and I mean, melody, what melody? There are very few little snippets, you know, and they're just very, very sad to hear, you know. But this was the appeal to me, you know, so honest and real. And in my life, when I heard this about 2013, I really craved, you know, realness. Um, I'd moved to uni. I was getting used to living on my own, making friends. I was following a dream, pretty much, or playing music for a living. It was very emotional. I felt extremely vulnerable at points. You know, I was getting very anxious. Um, there, were part, there were times where I'd stay in for like days on end because I was worried to go outside and trying to deal with just being an adult, really. So I was putting pressure on myself to make sure I did well in lectures so I get the most out of them. You know, I only had one plan after uni and that was be a musician. So I put so much importance on every little facet of details, making sure i got good marks. And I would start feeling guilty that, you know, I'd be hanging out and socializing with people, which is a good thing. But then I'd look, I'd be like, but I need to practice. I'm not practicing. I need to go home and practice, but I need to listen to this. I need to be reading a book. And it was just unsustainable. And I look back and I put the pieces together and I go, well, yeah, because I was putting so much intense pressure on myself that what was actually happening was I couldn't live up to what I wanted to be. And it was a, it was was a it was an uninformed way of actually how a musician should live because not everybody lives like that as a musician. I ended up spending a lot of time doing nothing, being depressed and being anxious and just watching YouTube and going down rabbit holes and being away from doing stuff like that, going through periods of that, you know? And again, I'm not there. There are parallels there with the Freshante story and my story, I guess, you know, I'm not trying to, um, play the sympathy card or say like, that was exactly the same, you know, but maybe that was part of the appeal because I'd read it, heard about it. And it was like, okay cool he's my biggest idol in guitar music um it was quite hard you know i and again i experienced jobs before uni where i was convinced that i was going to be here for the rest of my life i had a job at a supermarket and i was like this is my life now at 21 22 i was like this is all i've got and he was the same when he quit the chili peppers he was like that's it never gonna do music again that, that's it but he was 22 23 obviously he had more in the life after that um you know, can, can you relate to those kind of things, Merritt? You know, maybe where I was in that time period. Yeah. I, I or yourself.
1: Yeah, I definitely can. Um, especially during lockdown. Obviously, we went from, what, four years of just go. Just constant, like, if if we're not gigging, we're bettering ourselves. If we're not bettering ourselves, we're talking to each other about, oh, have you seen this? Of, oh, Rick Beatos put a new video out about the Dorian in contrast to a major with three sharps and six flats have you seen that have you done this you you know it's gone from full-on to nothing just complete footfall and if you follow me on instagram you'll notice that i've had little spirits of three or four days i'll put a video out and then for two months there's nothing and that's kind of due to it's partly me going oh what should i do now it's partly me going, I can't, I can't be bothered today. It's partly me going, I don't even think these videos are any good. It's part of me not having the time because I got a, I got a, a real job. haha. <laughs> um, and I'm still kind of in that to some extent, but at the same time where there's – it's kind of strange. When there's less time, I seem to work more effectively. When I have less time in my schedule – the best stuff comes out and I don't want to say that I love working to deadlines or extreme deadlines because I don't, I don't love that at all. I love giving myself time. I love relaxing into things, but it always seems to be the case. If I have to write something, if it's got to be done yesterday, it will be done. However, if it's got to be done, I don't know, in a certain time frame, in six months time, I'll sit back, I'll crack open a beer i'll think about the world i'll roll a fag i'll watch a youtube video and yeah i i do relate to that somewhat and in fact even in uni funny story coming up the uh i can't even rem- remember what the subject was called but um there were a couple of chords that we had to learn now i'd glance once at it and be like that da, 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 da. yeah fine back then It was like Major 7 flat 5. I was like, what's that? Oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I remember, I'll never forget this. I went into the the main study room, which was down the hall from the exam room. I walked in. You were in there. I went, Martin, because you weren't Marv to me at that point. You were Martin. It's like, Martin, what are the chords? And you went, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Justin got away from the door and went, Okay, James, when you're ready, I was like, no! And I ran in, and that was the one thing I got completely correct. I played all those chords. Mate, yeah, I get it. When you're just kind of like, oh, I should be doing this. I really should be doing this. Oh, this pressure, pressure, pressure. Oh, I want to be one of the greats. I want to be this. I want to be that. And you kind of just have to whittle that down to, I want to be me. And if that translates, brilliant. If it doesn't, well i'm still me so yeah it is what you make it but i do relate to that even even to even now to some extent putting my album together there are days where i'm just kind of like it's a really good quote which is there's always a million reasons to not do something and you need to burn all those reasons off and you need to get your ass sat down and you need to get shit done um which is what I'm slowly applying to myself as time goes on, you know? Because it's easy to sort of get into that cycle of, all right, I know the tunes. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. And then just not think about it ever again. But that's, you, you can't do that. You've got to crack on. You know, time's a ticking, lad. I'm entering my 30s. I found a white beard hair the other day.
0: But oh, oh, no. But no, oh, no, no I, under, I understand, mate.
1: I really do. Yeah,
0: I think, you know, I think a lot of people do that. I don't think I was the only person, but you know, I think that's why I connected to this album quite a lot. Cause I really got into the story of it. I knew the story before I knew the album and you know, I kind of, I just connected quite hard to it. And I think even if it was just a whole album of feedback, I probably still glamorize it. I glamorize this person who's, 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 uh, sell, you know, selling this purely for drug money. I'd still make an excuse and be like, it's fine.
1: Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: all right. Um, but, you know, I, I'd never deem myself to be endorsing this like junky lifestyle because it's attached to art. I wouldn't think that because I praise this person to anyone that's like asked about his music, that perhaps in turn I'm implying that doing drugs to cope with your problems is like acceptable. You know, because I'm going like, well, yeah, he did that and that was all right. But look at him now. Like, it's fine. He's over it. Don't worry about it. Maybe that's implying, and I'm not thinking about that, that do heroin and crack and alcohol and drink meal replacement. Like, you'll be fine because he did it for six years and was okay. It's all good. People are impressionable. Young children and young teenagers are impressionable, you know. Um, And adults too. And adults too. Humans Um, are impressionable. Exactly, you know. So... I think mainly because it's a success story. You know, we love a, we love a rags to riches. You know, the back from the brink story. The fact that he didn't die, the fact that he is still here, and that it becomes part of a larger story, that we can maybe accept that. I think that if he had died after the release of this, because a lot of people were convinced he was going to die. You know, at this time when it came out, they were just like, "Yeah, he's going to be dead." We've got hindsight, it's a bit different. It would have definitely soured it a lot more, and maybe i wouldn't enjoy it as much because then you've got the reality of like you are hearing someone like almost pretty much at the brink of death knocking on the door singing songs to you to feed the thing that's killing them it would be very uneasy and especially if i'd bought a copy at that time if i was old enough and then knew that after the fact i mean i reckon i'd carry some of that guilt you know part of my money's going towards him killing himself
1: my thoughts did you want sorry
0: i want your thoughts on the whole you know how would you what what's your thought on you know what i've just said of come on of if someone hasn't died and they've come back and you've seen a success story it's celebrated as it should be yeah and if someone then dies from these things like it taints it obviously but like what's your thoughts on that are we is it is there some sort of glamorization there of me saying I'm liking this this smile from the Streets Your Hold album and by turn maybe influencing other people. I, I could be influencing someone to, you know, I'd be glamorizing drugs to somebody. What's your thoughts?
1: I mean, yeah, it definitely does glamorize it because drugs aren't glamorous. They aren't glamorous at all. Um, it wasn't until I saw what was, that when you showed me that video of Freshanti in that interview and his teeth were awful, it wasn't until around then that I actually realized that what heroin does to the body, um, you know, it, it, it ruins you in every aspect possible. Nobody sees that part of it. Nobody sees you vomiting for days when you're trying to get off it. Nobody sees um, – that was something I wanted to bring up, actually. There was like a, a – I don't think it ran for very long. It was a TV show on MTV. Because, of course, yeah. it was. If there's any way to gain money out of it, they'll have a camera there in half an hour. Yeah. Um, it was celebrities who were going through addiction issues. I believe it was in the early 90s or midnight, something along those lines. There were a lot of um, musicians from the like, 80s who were killing themselves in the 90s, basically.
0: Is this, uh, is this Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew?
1: I actually think that's what that is, yeah.
0: I think that was late noughties yeah
1: okay early okay there's a video of steven adler the drummer for guns and roses and he is walking around this mansion crying his eyes out because he can't find his shoes um that's not glamorous to me at all in actual fact he probably can't even watch that now he, he probably cringes at the thought of it um and again, this was a man that legally was a missing person for seven years. He had just disappeared off the face of the planet. And um, I, th- I think, especially through the music, I mean, we'll go right back. Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. What a lovely little tune, yeah? What a lovely little tune. Ch- I love that song. Heroin. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In fact, it, the 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 best potentially the best Rolling Stones album, um, was um, one where the whole band were in a basement waiting for Keith Richards to come around after a three-day drug and drink binge. And then he got plenty of coke up his nose, heroin in his arm, and then he laid down the bones for that album. Um, Again, it's glamorizing it. It's glamorizing it. slash... He died for five minutes in 1995 because of heroin. Mm. And they don't tell you this, but when people die, they shit themselves. That's what happens. Your bowels void. So imagine that. You're in a bubble. All of a sudden, everything goes black, and you wake up in a hospital bed with shit in your drawers, feeling like the arse end of a dog. And it's, that's not glamorous at all, not in the that's slightest. Awesome. I mean, it's easy to to look at it as like a, oh he's cool, like oh look at that. And like, I've even said it before, like when I first started getting into smoking, one of the main reasons why is because loads of my mates were doing it and it looked cool. It ain't cool. It is not cool. In fact, oh oh, I've just knocked over me life.
0: Never mind, eh? It's only on video now. Does that look cool to you, Marv? I mean, that looks absolutely disgusting. Yep. And you know my thoughts about you smoking. You're a oh, green yeah. ass man. No, I get it. No, absolutely. But... but if you if you didn't smoke, I'd be a happier person. Oh, I
1: know. I've plenty of my friends are like that. Like I said, well, I'll, I'll be trying it before long. But um,
0: but yeah, it's not
1: cool. None of it is cool, and. And it makes it dangerous because that's when people start to think like, oh, yeah, nah, Keith Richards does it, so it's fine. Slash did it, so it's okay. Oh, I was just listening to this new podcast. The lad on there, the lads have released this new video. And every 10 minutes, the big ginger one starts smoking and sips from his beer. That's cool. That It's not cool. <laughs> not at all. In fact, even if you... Well, not even when you do it. Uh, I mean, it's a bit cool when I do it, but, you know, <laughs> that's different. Everything I do is cool. When Even if you begged me for a cigarette, Marv, I wouldn't give you one because if you've got an addictive personality, we're going to be sharing fags, mate, and I don't want to see that.
0: <laughs> plus, Can you imagine? Plus the Can fact, you imagine?
1: Plus the fact, the taste of it, you're going to vomit in my lap as soon as you breathe in, mate. It is not nice. I'm, I'm dead to it, mate, because I've smoked for as long as I have. And it's, it's the same sort of deal. I imagine if I took heroin, I would vomit everywhere. But some someone like Life Ashanti, he was so desensitized to it. He had taken so much he had no teeth. Like that's it that's not cool. That's not glamour. That's just awful. That is just awful. And I can only imagine how bad he felt physically, mentally, whatever you want to call it, when he came round and, and finally just went, Do you know what, I'm gonna stop this now. How long did he take to kick heroin, do you know?
0: Well, again, this is a, an, another part that he claimed to have kind of got off heroin. I think, if I'm looking at my notes, I don't know if I actually put it there, but like, I think he claimed to kind of, in maybe 96 or 97, he claimed to have kicked heroin, which seems to match up with his productivity around that time, which was about a month before Smiles from the Street Cheap Hob was actually released. remember that a lot of these songs were done two years prior he hadn't even played guitar in a while 96 was the last time he actually put i think three three songs new songs actually playing and singing Um, so it creates this illusion as well that's the thing with this album is that it creates an illusion that he's okay because they're older songs and it might just be an affectation that he's putting on with the screams and the yelps but really when you listen to those when you know that the there are three songs that he's in really bad health. It's so evident. It's so evident. It's, it's horrible to hear. Um, but yes, yeah, so he, he kicked heroin. And then there was claims that he was like, he claimed he was sober, went on tour. But then there was like, he was still doing cocaine or still drinking. There was still like little bits he was doing. And it wasn't until he actually went to rehab properly in 1998 that he never really went to that style of drug abuse ever again. Um, and lev- lived a pretty, pretty relatively clean lifestyle, you know, ever since. Um, not that he was drug free, um, but he was lived pretty, he, he never, he never deteriorated his life up to that point. Um, but I guess that's the spirit telling him only six years with this certain thing. Um, but yeah, like, like you know, talking about those three songs, I call them the 1996 songs. Um, I can't see until I see your eyes and S stress. The Sherman is worse health. Um, the creativity in the songwriting's there, but you know the drugs have just destroyed that at this point. All the lyrics are just a slurred jumble. His voice is at its weakest. His body's at its weakest. Um, it's very evident he's lost all of his teeth, which, from a, a quote from an interview, says they're tiny slithers of off-white that peek through rotten gums. Um, you know he's nodding out. Apparently, on the interview, he's nodding out so much that he had a whole lit cigarette and it's just dripping onto him all the ashes burning him you know poke holes all these things uh Moore's the more coherent of the 3 it he's got a stronger melody and some decipherable sentences so all you're going to get from him is some sentences of words that make sense um so yeah they're very very hard um to listen to but you know i think there are some great songs here there really is okay um, i i really like life's a bath I think it's, you know, it's a little ditty to me, but you can hear that he's, you know, a junkie. You can hear the deterioration of his voice um, compared to the '96 songs. Obviously it sounds angelic, but I think it's a strong melody. The guitar playing is good enough that it sounds very present. It's there. The shouting passages, they actually fit and they make sense in context with the song. Um, There's a really nice ambient passage in the middle where it's like echoey vocals, reverse guitars, I think it sounds brilliant. Um, it's really one to showcase. You showcase that to somebody. You know, if you're like, want to dip their toe in the water of this album, not scared off completely with the first track or the 1996 songs. Um, there's a lot of what I call now frustumentals. Do you like that? frustramentals? I do like that. Bashanti Instrumentals now. I feel like he's got a very distinct style of guitar instrumentals. He's recording all these on the, on a four-track recorder um you know, plugging his guitar directly in. So imagine a very distorted um guitar from a like a tape recorder kind of that's where you get into brutal. It can be quite hard to hear at times, especially being out of tune. But yeah, yeah. You know, this is where really, especially with Neanderthal days, because these are from the same sessions, we're having these was very pretty, very memorable melodies. You can hear why his guitar playing is as, as as infectious as it is and why it's so memorable. You know he released, you know, he can do it with so much relative ease. I think he did an EP in 2015 that was recorded in 2010, just in the style of this music, in the style of this era. And you can just tell, he can just do it, first take, whatever, just bang them out, and they're enjoyable. Um, but Yeah, all the I'd say all the instrumentals are uh, enjoyable here, especially for air. It's definitely got the catchiest riff. Um, and it kind of takes you places with the chord progressions and the man, the, mod- the modulations and that. Uh, the song with River Phoenix, "Height Down, it's a great example of a digestible side of it. It's almost poppy in places. It does go a little bit, uh, I would say, the Freshante way, the heroin way of doing it. Um, there's a song that femininity is very Smiths-like and it's very poppy. You'd think for an album that is very junky and very abrasive and avant-garde, there's actually a lot of poppy moments here that you think, you know, he knows that's part of his sound. There's some appeal there. Uh, and then the title track, you know, is a delicate, it's a very vulnerable offering. You get a nice frustrumento in the middle towards pretty much to the end. And his quote on it was this. The title song was a very intense moment because I was having verbal communication with the spirits while I was recording. And I started crying at the end of it. The spirits give you ideas for things. And what's important to them is what's important to me. I'm much more concerned with my fame in their world than with my fame in this one. That's why it's been difficult for me to adjust to being alive at all. So again, we're back to this he's just given his mind to the spirits. Whether you categorize that as his thoughts, as a mental breakdown, as someone that is actually there and we can't comprehend. It's everyone everyone's up for grabs, you know. Um, you know, the sound does kind of go everywhere. It's very hard to listen. It's definitely not the first thing you would listen to him for. It's definitely something you you don't have to listen to. But the story is better than the record itself. And again, it's he has he took it out of print when he rejoined the Chili Peppers in 1998, he took it out of print. It's never been re-released. Um, he's very uncomfortable with it being out in the public, but he's sin, you know he's played songs on his solo tours say 2000, and 2000, 2001. he was playing songs from this record. so like much like Prince, it's like he must still have a fondness for these songs. like they can't just be. Out of nowhere. Um another question for you, you know. Where do we as consumers draw the line when the artists we love and support are on a path we've seen with countless musicians? You know, how does it differ from friends or family members in a similar life choice merit? It's it's
1: difficult because you want you want to support that artist. Um but at the same time you don't want to support them killing themselves. Um that is, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to explain, the um, The issue I have with it is, yeah, it's all well and good, oh, I'm not going to buy this because I don't want to support their, their drug addictions or whatever, but at the same time, if I don't buy it, somebody else will, so I mean, yeah, I can understand not wanting to support it, but at the same time, someone else will if you don't, so I mean... Where'd you go with that? What do you do? Do you not buy any records? Do you boycott their records until they're clean? But then the trouble is, what if they get clean? Then you start buying records. They get more and more money come in, and then they start on the drugs again. I mean, it—it's hard. It is hard to uh, to equate. I think it's difficult. That's what I think of that. I'm not sure. It's difficult.
0: I think it's impossible to maintain and police because if someone suddenly becomes rich and famous, who knows? They could just then suddenly start taking drugs. It's not up to us to then decide what people do with their money. It's it's impossible to police. And I think trying to censor it would just it just wouldn't work. It's not even no. feasible. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. But here's a quote from his uh label owner, David Katz Nelson. Now now you can this kind of feeds into, you know, maybe he has a decision of maybe how he lives his life. I don't know. But this is his quote. A lot of artists have their own demons and he's one of them. If I made judgments on people because of their lifestyles, I wouldn't work with anyone. I work with a lot of artists who have problems, legal substances or personal demons. But one is just as problematic as the other. If I was expecting him to tour and play and there was a lot of money involved, I would tear the hair out of my head. But there's not a lot of money. I just want people to hear what he's about. If he wants to play, fine. If he doesn't, fine. If he wants to do interviews, great. If he doesn't, fine i think he's very used to his own skin now all i glean from that is he's not making me a lot of money so he can do what he wants if he was making me money i'd be concerned so i think this person's motivations based off this quote is money motivated if he was making a lot of money for him and he's being problematic Because on Chili Peppers tours, you know, around that Blood Sugar Sex Magic era, he was telling reporters to F off and being very abrasive and anti this and anti that. And now that, you know, he was trying to play gigs in a junky state and they were awful and, you know, he was telling, uh, got an audience member to like uh, leave and he was telling all the other people in the audience to tell him to F off and... Loads of things, you know, very very fragile state. But this guy's like, well, he's not making me a lot of money, so it's all right, he can do what he wants, that's fine. I just find that a little bit unattached, you know? You agree?
1: That's very much... I care more about the numbers popping up on the screen when I go and see the bank than I care about this human being and I really want to get him clean and I want him healthy, And which is ironic because I um, would... Yeah, I just have to guess that um, when he's with the Chilis, I imagine he's making a lot more money than when he's on heroin and releasing solo albums. So, I mean, yeah, that's kind of a stupid move for him in more than one way. Um, but that's the music industry.
0: Also, kids, there's a downside too. You know, I can't believe that he didn't die. It was so to the brink of it. Um, but again, the saving... The saving grace of the album is that he survived. He's then made better work and better material and it fits into the whole narrative of his life. Um, You know, it it can be celebrated rather than mourned, you know. And to, to cap it all off, he got interviewed, I think, in 2001 about his relationship with drugs. He's clean at this point. And he goes, I have no temptation whatsoever to do drugs, but the experience was beneficial to me. Not to say that I'd see drugs as beneficial for anybody else. I know a lot of people who took drugs and it destroyed every one of them. It destroyed me too. But I managed to pull myself back and benefit from the whole thing. It's a surefire way to mess up your whole life. But what I felt on them and what I learned from them, i will never turn my back on. And again, it's one of those things, well, just because it works for him doesn't work for you. Don't take my advice. You know, I'm not saying I'm a role model. You're choosing for me to be a role model. You only know me because of my public persona and what you know that's been allowed out there. So maybe choose your idols carefully and make your own mind up on decisions. But yes, very, very interesting album. Very, very interesting story. And I'm never, ever going to touch heroin, ever. I don't care how bad my life gets. I'm never doing it.
1: If Lemmy Kilminster says, the only thing I haven't done is heroin, and I would never touch that shit in a million years. I think it's pretty safe to say I'm going to stay away from it as well.
0: I think that's perfect. But there you go. So for Shanna, "Smile from the Streets," you hold. Um, I, it's not on Spotify, again, It's not been. It's been out print. Um, I will put some YouTube links below for a couple of songs. I would I'll like to listen pick, to
1: that. Actually, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm going to pick probably a um, stress as maybe the worst offender or the kind of hardest track to listen to. And then I'm probably going to go for life's a bath because I think that's, I think that's the good end of the kind of junkie spectrum. If you want to call that, um, or maybe there may an instrumental as well, a fruit instrumental for air. So those are the three and yeah. Again, before you, before you go for yours mess, little plug, we got a Patreon. We have, we love it over there. We do. It's three pound a month. It is. We're gonna have other tears. Can you remember when we said the last time? We're gonna have tears. We're gonna have merch. We have all that stuff. <laughs> that was funny. We are gonna do it. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. It'll get done. We'll have other tears that have other access. You know, to maybe vlog style videos that have other bit of music in them, and like we might review. Uh, patrons might give us their comments. Listen to this. Listen to that. And we'll film ourselves doing it. React videos. I like it, kid. React videos. I reckon so. But you know, basic tier, three pound a month, you get an unedited podcast episode now with video a day early, and you get a nice community. And uh, we send you a nice welcome message. And life should be great. And life should be good. That is www.patreon.com forward slash 50ways podcast and that is the same for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. The dance. This is funny because we can mock, we usually mock each other because we we're know we not being filmed. Yeah. So now it's like we have to realize that every facial movement and everything, exactly. Yeah. Look at him. He's had half a beer and he's all messy you now.
1: Messy. I can't believe it. It's getting messy in
0: here. <laughs> it is. Like messy. What did you pick? What was your album?
1: So, I am going to take you back to December the 8th, 1984. A prominent time, a very prominent time, a lot of, lot of amazing rock bands, you know, hair metal, glam, everything that's coming out of the woodwork. I do love that. But this is to do with a car accident. Two gentlemen had decided to have a few drinks. They were at a party given in honor of this particular band's first U.S. tour. One of them. Um, They had already been drinking. They decided to run to the liquor store. As the car made its way around a winding Hollywood road, the person driving lost control of the vehicle and smashed into another car. Now, the passenger was Hanoi Rock's drummer, Razzle, also known as, I will find his name, I promise I will, it's uh, Nicholas Dingley. Okay. Hanoi Rock's drummer was the passenger, in the driving seat was Motley Crue's Vince Neil. Both inebriated. Sadly, everybody survived with sustained injuries, but Razzle died. Um, he was less fortunate. He was taken to the South Bay Hospital and he was declared dead on arrival. He was 24. He was three years younger than me and he died because the man who was driving had had too much to drink. So, Vince Neal was given a 30-day jail sentence 30 days, right, less than a month, and he was released 10 days early for good behavior. He expressed remorse, he felt bad for it years later, uh, and he admitted that he got off too easy. He paid $2.5 million for vehicular manslaughter, and in his own words, I should have gone to prison. I definitely deserve to go to prison, but I did 30 days in jail, which he didn't, he did 20, and got laid and drank beer, because that's the power of cash. That's fucked up. I agree with him. I completely agree with him. Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Um, You know, the guitarist Andy McCoy of Hanoi Rocks, he said he was there, what happened when Razzle disappeared, so did Vince. Um, so a couple of others, including Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee, took a car and went looking. They drove past the accident, and I was like, what colour was the car they were driving? Because we just passed an accident with a bright red sports car. Then I saw Razzle's hat on the street. That is brutal. That is absolutely brutal. Uh, the singer of the band never forgave Neil. Um, there was an accident, and unfortunately our drummer was killed. As far as Vince Neil, I have nothing to say. It was an accident. What happened happened, and it can't be changed. Everybody suffered from the whole thing. So, the album I decided to do was Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. This album was not released in 1984, but I thought I'd give you that as a precursor to what Motley Crue were like. Hmm. Dreadful, in, in a word. Um, I've read quotes online from the manager at the time who had managed Kiss, Bon Jovi, Poison. He had never gone through anything that this band had put him through. Nothing. He was in absolute awe. It was like, what are they going to do next? That sort of deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my notes have disappeared on me. That's helpful, isn't it? Always helps.
0: Always helps. Never mind, A. kid. Because be being I, being filmed, man. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I can not get over the fact that 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 basically said to me, two and a half million for somebody's life. Yeah, do twenty days. It's not even three weeks.
1: And he drank beer and he got laid in
0: prison. Just, I'm because he had
1: money. Because he had money. If that's not glamorising it, I don't know what is. Quite frankly, um. Horrifying, absolutely horrifying. But like I said, that is a precursor. That's a little story segue in, you know, little... So, Girls, Girls, Girls. Released in 1987. The runtime, the original runtime. Now, I listened to the version that's an hour and a minute long. The original runtime was 39 minutes and 54 seconds. The singles were Girls, 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 obviously. Wild Side slash five years dead and you're all I need. Um so the reviews this album gets is generally positive. In fact I'd say it's almost the exact opposite to the Freshanti one you just did. Um Do you like the eighties Marv?
0: I do like the eighties, yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you like um quite quite sort of easy backbeats, nice and nice and punchy, well produced, you know?
0: Yeah, like myself, some good, good slab of '80s hard rock. Yeah. That's what you're trying to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, some nice cheesy '80s guitar riffing.
0: Gotta be done. Chor- chorus on the guitars,
1: on occasion.
0: I'll take that. I'll take some, that.
1: Some some nice solos, quite blistering in places. Yeah, I
0: mean, gotta be in it. Blistering, till you get blisters.
1: Then you're gonna love this album. And do you know what? I love this album. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was very, very good. As I said, 1987, an interesting time. Everything's sort of moving into an, into another realm. Ozzy's done the two two of the best metal albums ever to be released of the time. It's happened. He's still doing, obviously, doing music. Black Sabbath are in a weird place. <laughs> um, a very weird yeah. place, indeed. Guns N' Roses, I think at this point, they were well-established, weren't they? 1987.
0: I believe um, Appetite had come out. Yes, and they're riding on the coattails of Appetite. Yes, and they're supporting Aerosmith on big stadium tours. Yeah, and they're they're doing well. They're on they're on their rise. Yes, you know what indeed. I'm indeed. So,
1: girls, 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 and I'm just going to say it once from now on because it's starting to twist me tongue a little bit. It's the fourth studio album um, from the glam metal band Motley Crue. It, um, it was their final collaboration with the producer, Tom Werman. He had pro- produced the band's two previous albums, Being Shouted at the Devil and Theatre of Pain, which they changed the name for at the last minute, but I cannot remember the original name, so uh, you're going to have to grill me on that, patrons. Like those albums, Girls would achieve quadruple platinum status. Selling over four million copies and reaching number two on Billboard's two two hundred. It um, had mixed reviews, like I said, but generally positive. In their June in a June twelfth issue, nineteen eighty seven of the magazine, uh, Mick Mars, the guitarist. I really appreciate Mick Mars. I think he's I think he's really good. He's got some great lines, and um, he had a condition which escapes me, but basically um, his bones in his spine were solidifying and molding together. Um, It was like, in his own words, it was like someone pouring hot concrete into your spine very slowly. Um, So he he wasn't having a great time. Um, I think he was a very big alcoholic, um, as was Vince Neil. Tommy Lee has I think only in the last couple of years been clean. Like completely. Yeah. Um he struggled with alcohol a lot. And then we get to Nikki Six. Who again, how is that man alive? He wasn't for a period.
0: He No, again yeah. this is this is yeah. He he like we know with Kickstart My Heart, yes. which isn't on this album. No, but because that was know. It was the same year
1: this album was released that he gave him the reason
0: to write "Kickstart My Heart." Yeah, so he actually he actually died. Yes, compared he did. To someone like Fru who didn't die. No, no. The album sounds like someone who's dying. Yes, and um,
1: it was December the twenty third of this year. He overdosed on heroin. Fun fact, not sure if this is 100% true. I couldn't find an overly reliable source, but apparently Slash was in the room when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he was reportedly declared clinically dead for two minutes before a paramedic revived him with two syringes full of adrenaline. Um, there is a Netflix documentary on Motley Crue called The Dirt, uh, which is not to be taken too seriously. If um, if Bohemian Rhapsody is a biopic, The Dirt is a cartoon. Uh, there was a lot in it that did not happen. Um, but um, there's a scene, and I can imagine it would kind of be similar. They're, obviously, the paramedics were rang. They dragged him out, put him in the back of an ambulance on the way to hospital, and they... Um, basically the paramedic was like, I am not having Nikki Six die on my watch. This is not happening. Um, So he hit him with one, nothing. He was like, no way, this is not happening. So he hit him with another, and he like sat up like, oh, like that can't be a great feeling either way with the heroin still coursing in your veins and like you've just been brought back to life. He oh. he had an awful upbringing though. His um, his father left. His mother blamed him for it. Um, he changed his name at a young age, and he tried to find his father. His father had nothing to do with him. Uh, denied his existence completely. And like years later, I think he met up with um a brother that he had who also had the same opinion of his father that Nicky Six did—that he wasn't a great guy. He uh he just wasn't that good. Nikki Six's mum had a string of male lovers that also treated him terribly, awfully. Yeah. Um, and there, there's so much surrounding it, so much, and I don't want to say too many of the things because some of it I've got from the dirt, some of it I've got from this, some of it I've got from that, but from what I've seen. Like, I need to read this dude's autobiography if he's got one, because Jesus Christ, you know, it is insane. And the story about, um, we were discussing this earlier when they went on tour with Ozzy, and um, they were in a motel, and they were having, um, so Ozzy basically pulled him to one side, and he was like, you're right, kids, yeah. So you think you can uh, you can handle the big dogs, do you? Eh? And he was in a dress, and he got his penis out, said, I fancy a drink. Weed on the side of the pool, jumped down and started sucking it up off the floor. And when Nicky Six went, oh, that's easy, mate, I'll do that, and started peeing, Ozzy then dived down and started drinking his wee up from the floor, and then snorted a line of ants. That is not slang. I mean the little six legged creatures that build nests and Ugh. um yeah. So it's almost like a, a bit like Aussie putting them in their place like you think you're big and bad, you ain't got a clue, lads.
0: But yeah What's you, wrong with a kit cat and an orange juice? That's what
1: I'm saying, mate. What's wrong what's wrong what's with saying, it? Man? <laughs> but yeah, Nikki Six is now sober. In fact I think they're all sober now. Um, Marriage is... Yeah affairs, there is so much to list, so much, and I'm not going to list it all because it's intense. It is intense, and plus the fact we'd be here all night. So I found a bit of a, of a review. I'm going to give you what I think of it, what a reviewer thinks of it, as per as per, quotum. So I'm getting the tracks up. Go on, I firmly believe that this track, this track, this album has one or two filler tracks. I firmly believe that this album is class. And that is 15-year-old mez inside of me going, yeah, corner boys, yes. <laughs> no, genuinely, there are some great songs on this. From Wild Side, Dancing on Glass, Bad Boy Boogie. It's just, It's just fun, like... Sped up rock and roll. It's it's glam, isn't it? It's just entertaining, and yeah. um, there, there's some interesting things on here. No, Nona, Nuna, Nona. That's quite a pleasant little track. I believe that's something to do with a family member or a spouse. I should have looked into that. Really, <laughs> <laughs> that's good, isn't it, mate? How good, you doing, Good mate? podcasting, mate. Yeah, that's <laughs> class. Never mind, eh? Um, yeah, I something for nothing. The title track. I just think it's a great, great glam record, to be honest with you, it's really enjoyable. Um and I didn't get bored when listening to it. Yeah. There is an instrumental version of the title track, Girls, Girls, Girls. And Mick Myers is playing his class. It actually it sounds copied and pasted. He's very, very good. Like, despite, you know, having that um debilitating disorder and being an alcoholic he it is class it's really good um yeah i recommend it i really do i think it's great i don't think there's much in terms of variety it is yeah. strictly a rock and roll record but it's enjoyable it really is and most people like i say remember it fondly so we have a review here we all know how much I hate critics, how much I think they're wrong, how much I think they suck. <laughs> but I think sometimes it's nice to have because it's good to have a different perspective on the matter. Indeed, indeed. You know, and it makes you. Sorry, am I boring you, mate?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's past the bedtime, isn't it was past bedtime, innit? That's true. You Since are you
1: are eighty six in August, so.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: So apparently, here's the first line. Though the band members put almost no real effort into it. Mötley Crew achieved its greatest commercial success to date with Theatre of Pain. That probably wasn't the best motivation to work harder on the follow-up. <laughs> 1987's Girls, Girls, Girls. But that does not mean the band was complacent. According to Vince Neil, it was really exciting when we started it. I thought Theatre of Pain was a little light. I have listened to bits and pieces of Theatre of Pain, and I do... And I, Sounds great, you know what I mean? Um, I thought Theatre of Pain was a little light. The whole glam thing and everything was great, but it was exciting to get into something tougher and meatier, something you could sink your teeth into. And I get that. There is a bit of an impression in that, you know? It is, it is like, slightly heavier. They're a lot more established. But then that's going to happen, isn't it, with a band over time? The the big hair remained, but the androgynous glam look was replaced by leather and motorcycles in the black and white photo on the album cover, which I'm sure you can see.
0: Definitely see. Yeah,
1: it's very, um, that's not the album cover I would have picked, I don't think. But uh, (laughs) never mind, eh, lads? The crew was taking it back to the streets, perhaps in an effort to recapture the fire that fueled its first two albums. Um, Wild Side is dark is a dark heavy track depicting an urban nightmare of drugs and violence A clear indicator for that for the glossy pop metal sheen of theater of pain is a thing of the past and it's followed by the title track um, the ultimate exercise in hedonism and maybe the greatest strip club anthem ever written so this is absolutely this is completely factual to me the um I quite agree I quite agree wild side is it's great it's punchy it's hard it's fantastic but then you've got girls 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 which is as as we say if if i was um if i joined the hell's angels tomorrow and i owned a strip club that would just be on repeat all the time and i never get tired I of thought hearing you gonna it.
0: say if you i thought i said if you i thought you were gonna say if you had suddenly become a stripper That would be your song of choice. Now, (laughs) Merritt, what would be your song of choice? What would would be your go-to? That's hard to say. Because are you going to go sensual or are you going to go funny? How are you going to (laughs) hit them? Big Popper's jumping into my head right now.
1: Because it's it's just, it is what it is, isn't it? It is what it is. It's
0: got to be, though. It's got to be Big (laughs) Popper. But you could be the first stripper to ever come out to rain in blood. I'm so. nah, not into that, mate. Scare him off. You've got, to,
1: you've got to maintain that tempo. Do you know what I mean? You're dancing long. You're enjoying yourself. Oh, yeah. There's a bit of rubbing going on. The jeans are coming off. Sorry. They're coming off still. Oh, they're
0: just coming over the ankles because I wear skinny jeans. Uh, you sound like you've done this before. I think if nah, any nah, 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 people nah, who nah. own any strip clubs have uh, want to hire a, a nice husky A ginger large male.
1: ginger man with a massive beard. <laughs> a massive beer. Yeah. In actual, in actual stuff. fact, there's going to be a little treat for our patrons this week. I'm going to send you a photo to put on there, and I'm going to say no more about it.
0: <laughs> well, I hope it's uh, of a clean. Oh, it's it's origin. clean.
1: It's clean. But you'll <laughs> you'll understand when you see it. So, if you want to see that photo, become a patron today. Hey. But yeah, so it's, this album's great. It's really enjoyable. It's not middle of the road. You know what it is. You know where it comes from. But the only thing is, everything's very sort of clean, shiny, and well done. You know. You're talking about the the freshanti tune. That's very, very apparent and raw of his his situation at that time and place. It's a it's a real moment in time record by the sounds of it. Yeah. Um whereas this is this is just kind of a I don't want to call it a bit of a laugh because it makes it sound like I'm insulting them. It's not a bit of a laugh, but it is a record that you put on to have a good time to, you know. It's that sort of it's that sort of record, you know. As I said, dancing on glass, that's a solid selection all in the name of and one of the tracks I'm going to suggest that you put on our playlist is You're All I Need. And I think it was pretty much law, either from this point or up to this point, that if you're a fast, heavy band, you need a ballad. You need a ballad in there, you're trying to draw in all the crowds, you're trying to pull them all in, and then they'll go, oh, what's this? Kickstart my heart. Oh, that's, that's all right, that's a bit heavy, but well, I don't quite like that. You're all, all Your All I Need is the perfect ballad. It's wonderful. I I sat there listening to it, was chewing on my breakfast this morning, thinking, this is really nice. I'm really enjoying this. Um, As you know, Marv, I am an absolute sucker for ballads. If you've got a nice tune, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love heavy metal, I love the fast stuff, I love love the screamy vocals, I love down-tuned guitars. But if you've got a ballad for me, you're doing all right, kid. You're doing all right. (laughs) but yeah so again this review is very sort of you know very much positive gave it seven out of ten i I think it deserves seven out of ten there's nothing on here that completely redefines a genre that completely changes the game it's just a great record but the reason why i brought it up is because i've always wanted to listen to it it's not that i never had an excuse to i just never have and motley crew are just some of the stories you read are the absolute pits, mate. It's unbelievable. Like I said, how they're still alive. And, I mean, Vince Neal. I do believe, was done... What year was it? Let me find that for you. He was... Always prepared. Always. This podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but that's the beauty of it. That's why they listen. Because <laughs> they <laughs> love hearing it. Oh, there we go. So he was... He reported, Vince Neil, the singer, bear in mind everything I said at the beginning of this segment. In 2010, he served a 50-day sentence after a DUI arrest. So he was drink-driving again. Wow. Like, so intense. I don't understand.
0: I I, I, under, I understand that, though. I think if that happened in your I assume he was in his 20s at this point with the Yeah, he was. He was even a car crash. He was quite and young. you served you've served less than 3 weeks and you've paid them off because you got the money and it didn't even feel like prison. Your ego would be riding high. Why wouldn't you think that you could do anything you want? I suppose his so, life yeah. really didn't change, did it? And yeah. you could argue that you know all the drugs and alcohol they're taking they're then this is them promoting a kind of a really negative behaviour to, to kids to go look it's fine. Look at me, indestructible, indestructible. The inf- you know, they're they're down in bottles of Jack Daniels on stage, which you know was iced tea or not? People didn't know. Yeah, there was still glamorizing
1: it. it, still glamorizing, still
0: glamorizing it, it. and their yeah. their audience, we you know, young teenagers to adults.
1: Exactly. So the other thing this band is tinged with is tragedy. Absolute and utter. Now I don't. I I, th- I do believe Tommy Lee's upbringing was rather pleasant. His parents were lovely. He was well looked after. He just enjoyed rock shows, and he eventually met Nicky Six, which gained him to to, to form Motley Crew. Obviously, we know about Mick Mars and his terrible his terrible condition. Vince Neal in the early nineties had a four year old daughter called Skylar, and tragically, she died. Um. They thought it was appendicitis, but it turned out to be a cancerous tumour around her abdomen. Oh, wow. And there was no real reason for it. It just it just happened. She underwent several operations, but every time the doctors found the tumour to be worse than they thought it was. So, as much as I've just ragged on him for drink, drink driving again, like, Jesus, like, this band have gone through some shit, man. Yeah. They seriously have. Um. He, Vince Neil. He, there's not a huge amount about it online. How how he felt around that. I mean, I I wouldn't ask him how he felt. It's just not a question you ask, is it? Really. Of course. But he he sort of he described slightly how her body was attached to all those tubes and machines. And it came in complete contrast to the previous week when he recalls her running circles around his legs trying to make him dizzy. That's just heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Um, But yeah, so I mean, again, The Dirt, it's uh, a relatively entertaining film. Don't take it at face value. It is not as factual as it is made out. There are a number of little fill-ins like the amount of times Nikki Six had sex with their new manager who they were trying to impress. Not new manager, got that completely wrong. New manager's new girlfriend out backstage. He had no idea. And he found out years later and it really, really upset him. But if he'd have known at the time, they could have blown the whole thing. Yeah. Because you just don't do that, do you? Um it's not quite Gigi Allen pissing on the new manager when you're trying to sign a contract with them, but, I mean, that's another story entirely. That's, an that's a...
0: another episode, <laughs> yeah.
1: Gigi Allen, man. But, um, no, I really like this album. I think there's a lot of emotion in it. There's a lot of sort of, like, emotive feelings and stuff. But, as I said, overall, it's sort of feel-good, glam, rock, sped up. And I really recommend it to anyone, anyone at all. Yeah, It's very, very accessible. Um, especially in today's ever-changing world of how low can I tune? <laughs> yeah, but um, no, it is a benchmark though. It is a moment in time you can hear that it, it is quite dated, but I don't really think that matters. I think with a band like Motley Crew you go to them for one thing, and they execute this one thing brilliantly. But as I said, tinged with drug abuse, substance and alcohol abuse. Tragedy as well, you know? It's it's I could go on all day about this band, I really could. But yeah. um obviously we only have a select amount of time. So yes, Marv, um I'm gonna give you some tracks to put on the old the old playlist, me
0: old chopper. Go on and what's it what's your two you are gonna pick?
1: I'm gonna pick Wild Side, because I think it's a banger. And I'm gonna pick Your All I Need because it's a lovely little ballad. Um, I understand that the title track would have been ideal to pick, but I feel like everybody's heard that tune.
0: Everybody has, yes. It's a solid,
1: solid song. It is great. It is fantastic. Really, really good. On another note, Home Sweet Home is another lovely crew track. Check it out and become a patron. Let us know what you think of it. Give us a shout on the Instagram. Give us a shout on the old Facebook. We are called 50 Ways Podcast with Marv and Mez, but usually just 50 Ways Podcast will get you there. We're on YouTube as well, and you are welcome to come and join us. Have a little, have a little sippy sip, sit back, listen to our dulcet tones for £3 a month, I believe it is. Marv,
0: is it not? You are correct, my friend. £3 for the basic tier. And when we actually finalize the details on other tiers, we'll let you know how much they cost, too. But £3 a month, you get, you get, an, ep- you get an episode unedited a week, you know, roughly over an hour's worth extra content.
1: And a know, day early as well. A day early.
0: And a day early, exactly. So you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong.
1: Well, you can't go wrong. You can not be a patron.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe we should make that at an angle. Like you know, <laughs> you're doing everything wrong by not signing
1: up. Uh, treat them like like the uh, like the producer from that Johnny Cash tribute hour. Oh, well, if you don't want it. That's your problem, <laughs> Jags,
0: not mine. That is true. That is true. Or we'll just treat them like a uh, dirt and just be like, right, you've paid us now. Whatever. Get out. Whatever. Don't care about your comments. Literally. Where's your podcast? Well, on that bus. Yeah. Well, on that bus. <laughs> So uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, again, yeah. interesting. You know, the fact that Motley crew, all the all the debauchery and stuff they go through, yeah. I would say you listen to girls, 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 and it's completely It's not there. You would not have a clue. No. No, so not at all. The fact that Vince Neil uh, uh, again, I'm not saying he's killed somebody, you know, maybe manslaughter, you know. Be a killer, manslaughter he, he, yeah. he was in an accident which caused someone to lose their life. And gets less than three weeks jail time loving loving the life in there pays them off and i don't know you just, you just surely that'd be the wake-up call. but you know as, as much as art imitates life and life imitates art or how much you want to put into your art you know maybe it would have been insincere of him to try and write a song about it yeah because he would have been benefiting and making more money which then ironically would have just shown well, look, how much money I can just get. I'll just pay somebody off. It doesn't really matter. If people get offended. I'll give them money. Like it's a, it's a hard line to kind of juggle. It's a hard line to juggle. It's, but... it's
1: that culture, isn't it? That unobtainable sort of fame and so much money. I can do this and big flashy houses and cars and drugs and drink and women. That whole culture. And people forget about it because the eighties finished over thirty years ago. But it, it still exists today it still very much is a part of of life. It's, it's there. But um no, I recommend I recommend checking Motley Crue out generally. Um great band. I don't think they're going anymore. Uh they had a farewell tour not so long ago. But Mags, my mother, saw them supporting Def Leopard, and it was a very good show from what I've heard, so I bet she had a
0: time of her life.
1: Well, I I always have the time of my life when Def Leppard roll entertain. Love them, I does love them, but don't tell anyone it's a secret because I'm in a I'm in a fast thrashing metal band now. No one can know. Shh, sh, sh,
0: sh. Only metal, only metal. Hey, maybe you can share the playlist that you've uh, made. Ooh, yes, oh yes, I will actually. Yes, I will. I'll do that. I would like have a little uh little thing on that, but yeah, my last take would be that. I definitely read an article in like a guitar magazine that I think that kind of hedonistic lifestyle and the drug fueled, drink fueled kind of lifestyle, especially in rock, is definitely not as accepted anymore. There's definitely no. a little bit more judgment and frowning upon, and people are focusing on longevity in their careers because the money's not there mainly. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, a lot of people are taking up other activities and not being a true rock star, living up to what that model was from the 50s, 60s onwards, you know, and that's nice to see. I think you want to see these older bands still playing and even newer bands having their stuff together and making good music. That's the whole point of it, you know, and whether someone wants to do drugs, someone wants to drink, I, you can only go from your own personal opinion. Yeah. I, I choose not to do it because I don't think it's going to fuel any creativity. I think practicing and listening to music and actually just the act of writing fuels the creativity. Whereas Merritt downing a on Lukey Brown might give him some, might give him a boost of a boost of creativity. You know, I was
1: just going to say, I haven't said that up yours.
0: What bet. Oh, and he's, he's, and he's done it. Yeah. He's done it. And that's, that's yeah. the way to end the podcast. That is the way. So glad to be back. Glad to see your face. Um, Sorry with you, it. It's all good. And I hope you enjoy the video format. Next week, we're going to be unveiling our new uh, series. Can't wait it, for it. Called Because It's. Where we focus on a band. We focus on a genre rather than a reason. And I get to pick the first one. And it is a band that for some reason I just hated because everyone else did. We're gonna do Nickelback, boy. <laughs> we're gonna—I'm yes. gonna listen to every single Nickelback album, and we're gonna talk about why people hate them. Are they as bad as you think? And whether I can change my perception of it. So we're gonna do that, and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week, kiddos. Keep it steady. Eat your veggies.